Okay, we're back. I hope everyone has managed to grab themselves a drink and and a toilet break. But yes, hello everyone. Welcome to the Through Our Eyes podcast, um, which is our fortnightly podcast where we highlight marginalised creators and their stories. Um, this is a uh, offshoot of a bigger project, which I will let Paige introduce. Yes. Hello. So the, the Throw Our Eyes project came about in January of last year, uh, where essentially with with uh, lockdowns and things like that, we wanted to try and find a way to highlight marginalised creators and have conversations about important topics, but in a in a safe way. So the idea of the Throw Our Eyes streams came about, and we got. 30 odd creators together in one big chat for 10 odd hours in, in segments and uh, we discussed lives, experiences, troubles and uh, tried to answer some of those awkward questions and then we realised that trying to speak to 30, uh, 30 people for 10 hours it was very difficult to learn anything about any one particular person <laughs> and so uh, Jack came up with the idea of the podcast as an offshoot so that we could talk to people in more detail. Yeah, and... Uh... Now we, we, we spend a couple of hours just uh, highlighting individual uh, stories about being LGBTQIA, being BIPOC, various illnesses, mental health, um, and a wide variety of, of different talking topics. So just to point out alerts should be, maybe, uh, um, are off. And uh, we will get on to letting our interviewee introduce themselves. Tell us a bit about who you are. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Josie Poser. Well, not my name, it's my handle, but you know the thing, the internet. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, what do I do? Well, I do a lot of... RPG stuff, predominantly TTRPG content. I write TTRPG content. I run games. I have a TTRPG-inspired web novel that I write that's doing pretty good compared to what I expected from it. And I stream achievement hunting in JRPGs, which is notoriously a difficult thing to do. I don't know why I do this to myself. And I I work full time as a uh, caregiver um, for a, an autistic young adult, and myself uh, diagnosed with autism spectrum diagnosis since uh, way way back. But I guess we're going to be talking about that a fair bit today. Yes. Um, so just just a few. Little uh, um, bits of information, pronouns, um, where can people find you specifically? Um, uh, well, pronouns she, her. Uh, on very rare days, it's a they, them. Uh, but unless it is one of those days, I would prefer or I encourage that people use she, her. Um, I am here on Twitch. I'm on the tweeters, and I am on Wattpad. And everything should be under the same name. Josie Poser. 
Brilliant. So, yeah, what are we here to talk about today? You're asking me? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I contacted you regarding being part of this after having viewed and moderated in several episodes of the podcast. Uh, and I've come in to give some some various perspective on ASD, uh, both as someone who has it and someone who works with people that have ASD. So I have I feel like I have a a significant amount of experience. I grew up with a mother who was also a caregiver for um, an autistic young adult. And we were contact family for um, an autistic young adult. Many of my friends as I grew up turned out to have ASD as well, which stands for Autism Spectrum. I think in the DSM it's called Autism Spectrum Disorder, but I prefer saying diagnosis. That's it's just a personal preference. As well as, uh, sure, it's called autism as a whole, but I prefer saying that someone, well, I can only speak for myself. I don't say I have autism. I say I am autistic because saying that you have someone, for some people that are very picky on how words are used, such as myself, it can make it seem that it's something you can get rid of. But you can't. You can polish it, you can hide it, but you can't cut it off. It's it's who you are, it's not something you have. And I do also know that there are other people who prefer saying that they have autism because they want to have that notion of it is something they can work on. And that's that's still valid and fair, but personally I say I am autistic. Okay, right. Um, so, first question, really simple, um, is give us the lowdown of your story. Um, when did it start? And just give us a. <laughs> this is usually the one that gives gives everyone the most difficulty because it is. It, it's probably quite a long story. So let's give let's give us a, a snippet into it. Well, I can start with the point that it is something that wasn't obvious at the time, but in retrospect, it made a lot of sense. I was diagnosed at 13 years old, and it seems to be a rather common age during puberty uh, when things shift. That's usually when it's most noticeable as the young adults, the very young people, they're not even young adults at that point, they're just kids, um, start changing a lot. There's herd behaviors, there's peer pressure, there's the hormones, there's, that's usually when most people seem to really come through whether they have ASD or not. And for me, it It wasn't necessarily obvious to everyone, but 
in retrospect, after I was given the diagnosis, a lot of things make sense. And there is... There, there's clues to it as far back as being four years old. But I didn't get the diagnosis till I was 13, and I myself didn't feel like I had... Did we say a handle on it? That I knew how I functioned? And such things until I was about 21? That's when I really really came out of my shell and started I w wouldn't say I started accepting me for me but I would say that I I started putting more attention towards how I was perceived and how I perceive others but there's also a big part of my story with ASD is that I had to go to a special program um, for a year that was made for only people who have ASD um, and it really opened my eyes to the fact that it is it is a spectrum it is a massive spectrum it was considered to be a school but we were 21 students I think and everyone had their own uh, pros their own cons their own rituals, their own routines, their own quirks, their own strong sides, weak sides. But at the end of the day, I realized that I didn't need as much help as they did, both when it came to school, when it comes to environment, when it comes to socializing, when it comes to what is considered the world today. Because this school also gave uh, special classes for those who wanted and those who needed when it came to everyday things, such as just making a bed, make, being able to make a list of how to clean in your room, uh, being able to go shopping. And uh, some students needed these things. I didn't, but there are those who did. And during the, that year, I realized that, well, for one, being a uh, at the time 15, 16-year-old, um, I didn't feel like I fit in, neither in a regular, well, Swedish equivalent of high school. Forgot to mention, I'm from Sweden. <laughs> uh, I didn't fit in in a regular Swedish high school or in this special program. Is how I felt. I was stuck in the middle, but after a year in this special program, I felt like I learned enough about autism, enough about myself, enough about what I wanted to do, and I managed to develop myself enough to get into a normal high school. And I uh, went from having severely lacking grades in ninth grade to um, graduating high school with scholarships and prizes. And I honestly, I'll give it to that one year of introspect, of, of just, even though I hated it, to be honest, uh, I, in, in hindsight, I can see that it, 
it helped my development a lot. And after high school, I then actually went to uni. I studied uh, two years of, uh, well, one year. I had to drop out because of living situations. One year of psychiatrical care, uh, which taught me a lot about a lot of, shall we say, textbook knowledge of various conditions and um, just diagnosis and illnesses, psychological, somat somatical, all sorts. And um, I think the most important thing I had at uni uh, was we actually had a class of applied empathy where we got to learn to practice empathy and, and not just being an em empathic person, but actually manually and practically tap into and act in an empathic way on command, so to speak. Just knowing how empathy works. And that was really helpful. Uh, I felt like I could have used that years before, so many years before. And after that, I moved, um, worked in the elderly care for a bit, and eventually landed as a equivalent of governmentally employed babysitter for families that have children with special needs. And then after half a year of doing that, I got employed full-time as a caregiver for an autistic young adult, and I've now been working with the same person for, I think it's, as of, as of last month, seven years. Yeah, it's been a ride. <laughs> okay, so, I've got to make sure to note down a question that I thought of before, uh, <laughs> before I move on. <laughs> uh, next, um, I wanted to uh, discuss a bit more about how um, it impacts you um, as an individual. You said that you felt um, like the uh, support that you had access to wasn't suitable for you, but it does affect you. It does actually have an impact on you as a person. So how do you, how does it uh, challenge you day to day, um, whether that be physically, socially, emotionally? I... It, it affects me every day, and I've spent years, um, I'm assuming we're going to touch upon the concept of masking eventually, which is something that's really important to know about. If you have someone in your, close to you um, on the autism spectrum, or if you're working with someone, it's it's just really important to know what masking is in order to understand them properly. 
Um, but it's something I have to do every day. Um, spoon theory is a big thing, even though my personal visualization isn't that of spoons. Um, it is uh, it's a little bit different, but I definitely get the concept. There's also clothes is a big deal. Clothes and food are my two major points in in day-to-day -day stuff. If I wake up and I I make sure to set my alarm every morning as close to having to leave as possible. I'm a time pessimist and I also want to make sure that Everything is as close to on time as possible. Super weird example, but it's come to the point, uh, it's something apparently I inherited from my father as well, is a stupid sense of time. I put a microwave pizza in the microwave earlier today, and I start it, and this is every time. I just put it in the microwave, I start the timer, and I leave, and... No matter what I do, no matter what I do, I always know what time is left on the timer when I come back to the kitchen. And it's just, it's just weird. And usually it is within five seconds of the microwave going off. Um... And so every morning I set the alarm. I Before I set my alarm, I always go through, what do I have to do in the morning? I have to walk the dog. No, am I bringing the dog to work? Am I eating breakfast at home or at work? Which meds do I have to take? Do I need to shower before work? Do I need to do physical therapy before work? All these things go through my head. Uh, and I set my alarm to the point where I have exactly enough time to do the things before I leave for work because I want to sleep every minute possible. And usually I pick my clothes the night before and when it comes to picking clothing that's just one of the things that's really important to me. If I'm having, I usually in my mind I gauge it in two What's the word? Um, bars that fill up. Mm. And one is for physical comfort and one is for mental comfort. And when I wake up, the, the bars are set. I can't change them. There's not enough time in the morning to do anything that would affect them. So I have to dress within the bounds of mental and physical comfort. I have to. It's, it, it, it comes down to fabrics. It comes down to temperature. It comes down to coverage. Uh, it even comes down to how comfortable is it walking in? How comfortable is it sitting in, lying in? Um, how many layers do I want? Do I want to be able to take off something if I need to adjust temperature? Um, is it long-sleeved, short-sleeved? Uh, an example is I I go nuts 
it requires a top tier level of mental comfort for me to use some to use two layers of long sleeves or I will go insane. And it also comes down to just because if I'm if I'm wake up and I have I feel like I have no energy to spend on physical comfort. Even if I'm having a great day, even if I feel in my mind like I wanna I wanna piss myself up, I wanna get dolled up today. If my physical comfort level is in the bottom, I can't. Because even if my brain is like, ooh, all this energy, my body's gonna be like, it's warm, it's tight, it's itchy, it's too short, it's too long, it doesn't have some holes, it has too many clinky bits, it doesn't have enough clinky bits. It's just so much. Or it can be something as simple as like this one specific seam on my shoulder is itchy. And then I can't wear that specific piece of clothing and it's it's just and days where I have a high physical comfort I can wear whatever I want but if I have low mental energy I'm not gonna want to because if I wear something that is physically draining that's gonna pull down and then it's gonna drag the mental comfort with it and it's similar with food um usually i have to when it comes to food um if i make the food myself it has to be in twos that's just how it is i need to have two slices of pizza on my plate i'm having two hamburgers rather than one hamburger and some fries i'm having two hot dogs i'm having two of this it's two of that it's two ice cubes it's There's there's a lot of things like that, or the fact that I choose to make sure that I always have what I call safety foods available. Certain microwave pizzas, microwave pierogies, hamburgers. I make sure there's things that I can cook from frozen if I don't have the time or the energy. And there are people who can testify to the fact that I love cooking, but sometimes you just you just can't. And... I know there's people out there that can't because they have chronic fatigue, they can't because they have pain, but in my case it can be as much as I I can't eat, I physically cannot eat anything except for microwave pizza, for example. It's it's not that I don't have the energy, it's not that I don't want to, it's, it's like trying, it's like throwing old potatoes at a brick wall, it's, it's not going to do much. Um, I'd just like to uh, um, take a, a point to you, um, clarify for, for everyone, what do you mean by a safety food? A safety food is a food that I will always be able to eat. Uh, it will taste a much enough the same every time I make it. It is quick, it is easy, uh, it is usually... For me, at least, it is usually something very 
how do I put this, on its own. It's not sloppy. It doesn't crumb too much. It doesn't... I don't know how to explain it. It's just something that almost always looks the same. It's predictable. It's quick. It's easy. And... It's just something that doesn't cost spoons making or eating. And usually just, it, you know, it tastes nice. <laughs> it tastes Something good. reliable then. Yes. However, I will say, I know, I know that there are some people, especially the Scandinavian ones, or I'm, I'm not going to say that people outside Scandinavia don't get this, but we have a specific type of microwave pizza called Billis. And Lars has mentioned it in chat. They're called Billis. And they come in squares. They're not like little pizzas. They are squares, like cut out of a massive, like fabric pizza, like a like a factory pizza. The only thing about these billies that can affect me is if they are edge pieces. The worst thing that can happen to me is getting a corner piece when there's not full sauce coverage, there's not full cheese coverage, there's one bit on the end that's just bread when it's supposed to be a perfect rectangle with equal amounts of everything on it. And then you get a corner bit. And then you get a corner bit. And it's just the worst. Disappointing. It's so disappointing. But I feel like that It, it, from my understanding of what you're saying, um, is a lot of like rather than disappointment, it's the need for uniformity. A little bit, yes. It's also how I eat these things. When I eat Billy's pizzas, I scrape the cheese off. Even though I want it to be the same, even though I want full cheese coverage, I will scrape the cheese off. Then I will scrape the sauce off and eat just the sauce first, and then I will eat just the dough, and then I'll eat just the cheese. I I can't explain it. It's like when I'm ordering pizza out. I'll order calzone, and then I'll remove the dough lid and use as a vehicle and put the filling in. And people are like, why don't you just order a regular cheese and ham pizza? Because that's not how I want it. That's literally just it. That's not how I want it. Yeah. I do the same with a Nando's meal where you get your burger and, and your chips. It's like, I don't want to eat a burger. I want to take the bread off and put the chicken to the side and eat the buns separately because they taste yeah. great with sauce. And I don't want the chicken in it's... it because the bread and the chicken taste weird. <laughs> it's also why I love going to buffets. Mm. Because I get to pick the food. I get to pick, most importantly, people who say that things don't, like, infect other foods with taste are lying. Mm. They should be locked up. Because if I go to a buffet, or if I cook my own food, I will make sure that nothing mixes that isn't supposed to mix. I will eat things one thing at a time in the order that I want to. And it's just, it's just very important to me 
And of course I can. I can, like I can override this. I can like if I have to, I can just go through and just eat whatever, however. But it's not how I would do it if I got to choose. But I know enough that it's it's what's expected. So, in a scenario where you are um, out uh, for a meal, um, would you say that it would take um, more of your mental capacity to try to not eat in the way in which you would feel the most comfortable, i.e. to look normal? Sounded almost as if your question would have an a but or in a reference to. Um, just in, like in the scenario where you're you're in a social situation. So is that something that you yourself do, or do you? Uh, no, not really. And I do want to thank the fact that I did go to culinary school. Uh, in Sweden, our high schools are uh, specialized. You apply as if you would a college. And I went to hotel and restaurant management school, so I had to take classes in various forms of culinary or gastronomy, if you want to. And um, I did this deliberately because I was an incredibly picky eater. And I wanted, and it was also a, a profession preparatory course, which meant that you didn't have to go to uni afterwards. It was just high school and then you could work. And I felt like that was just two birds with one stone. And they taught us something very simple uh, that was incredibly useful besides Besides teaching me that some food combinations are meant to be together, that's just how they are. You are supposed to mix them because that makes them perfect. But they also taught us that you don't have to like the food, but you need to be able to know what it's supposed to taste like. Because if you're serving food, if you're cooking food, you're going to end up cooking and serving something that you personally don't like, but you need to know if it's cooked properly and you need to taste it for seasoning. And that was a mind blower for me when we learned that bit. And it was like, I don't have to like the food. And it's <laughs> But to answer the question, usually when I'm in a social situation like that, I'm already in social mode. Okay. I, I've already made certain adjustments to my own, the paradigms of my mind, if you will. And I'll, I'll be fine. Usually when picking food from a menu, I will look through the menu. Uh, I will very quickly hone in on things that sound like they would taste good or sound familiar. And then I'll look through and see what looks like it has the least amount of things that I would not like. And then I'll probably, if it's a completely new place, I'll probably ask uh, whoever's 
handling the orders, I'll ask for specifics because there's a lot of ingredients that's not mentioned on the menu. Usually the condiments on a hamburger, they're usually not all mentioned. Or when someone says salt and pepper fries, they don't mean salt and pepper the spice. They mean pepper the vegetable, which was not written out on the menu, by the way. I, I, that I apologize. one almost got me. I that apologize, one... everyone, for laughing. I'm just, I, I was present at this particular event. That one almost actually got me. I was very close to to being incredibly, incredibly affected by that one. Um, yeah. But things like that can get me. On the other hand, sometimes I order things that I think is going to be, okay, I'm going to have to pick that aside. That's not going to be too good. But I end up really liking it. Or sometimes I will try new things. Or if someone I'm with orders something I've never eaten, I'll ask to try because I want to know if things are tasty or not. Because you don't need to like it. But tasting it is, is a good thing because you might be missing out. But, but food and clothes are probably my biggest. And third, I'd say time management is a big deal for me. So something that um, I wanted to highlight more and also was brought up as a question in chat as well okay. is um, uh, can we talk a bit more about like the social struggles? Mm -hmm. um, like what is, um, what would you say is your uh, general experience throughout a social situation, for example? People not explaining themselves. People either explaining or over-explaining has always been an issue for me, or not explaining or over-explaining. Uh, situations where I mean, it's going to sound stereotypical, but where you're just supposed to take a hint. Like, nowadays I can read into, like, I, I have a memory bank of experiences, I've learned how to generalize, but I will very rarely assume. I will break all social conventions and ask the person outright, is this what you meant? Because I frankly hate drama, all kinds. Misunderstandings and miscommunications are the worst thing that exists on this planet, besides the people who said that food can touch each other on a plate. <laughs> yeah. There's just... I've come to the point where I will just bluntly ask if I'm uncertain, because I feel like I would rather come across as a direct and blunt person than someone who is not understanding, not taking a hint, who doesn't get it. There's, there's, there's so many things that I do as well where I sit and I have to spend so much time thinking 
about how will this come across? How could this be interpreted? If I was on the other side, how would I interpret this? And I will just take that little thought and I will turn it around and examine it from every angle possible to make sure that the odds of someone misunderstanding my intention is as small as possible. And very often I will add extra information just to minimize even more. But there's definitely, sometimes I forget that you're supposed to smile. Sometimes I forget that you're supposed to look at the person you're talking to. I, I very often forget that when watching a movie, most people apparently sit still. Um, or it's just, or that watching a movie is watching a movie. Or the fact that, you know, it's, sometimes people just don't want to spend time with you and they never explain why. That's, that's just, it's been hard sometimes, you know, having people just leave and you find out from a friend, from a friend, from a friend, it's because you did that one thing. And I was like, well, if you'd told me, then they're like, well, you should have known. How would I have known? Do I look like a mind reader? Do I? Does it say so on my forehead and I missed it? What's that face? <laughs> That that was either drag shitting themselves or just forgetting exactly what she was going to say yep. right in that moment. Yep, 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 yep. That point where I had a clarification question and it left the moment that I got to the point of wanting to say it. Um, uh, nope, it's gone. Nope. Like a fart on the wind, this yep. has disappeared. Yep, yep, yep. One one example as well is when not to keep escalating in a social uh, situation. When people are bantering and they keep escalating, and all of a sudden you you've crossed the line, but no one said where the line was. Everyone else was escalating. Why did I specifically cross the line? And then no one no one explains. Everyone just gets mad. And assumes you're supposed to know. Or or the other way around, when when you get mad and you tell people, you actually tell people it's because of this, and then they get mad and tells me that, no, it's my fault that I got mad over this thing. Because to them it's insignificant, but not to me. And it, it sure, it, in retrospect and from an outside perspective, it can be insignificant. But it's also about, you know, it's about the experienced life. It's about not knowing what's going on in someone else's life. 
Um, it was a, again, the sorry, the audience questions are, are on point with this particular question, so I feel like it's actually a good a good uh, opportunity to use them up. Um, do you find it easier to interact with people digitally or in person, and why? Uh, I would say it depends. It's it's like uh it's one of those weird metaphors where it's like, oh it's a double edged sword, it's two sides of the same coin, it's the blah blah blah. Because when you're doing it digitally whenever I feel like I'm not no longer in a social mood, I no longer either have the energy to socialize or I simply don't want to. Like my interest is gone. Like I can call someone up because I want to talk about the specific thing and then they want to talk about their thing and I can just be like, I don't want to. And I can leave. I can say I got a thing to do and I can just hang up. But it works the other way around too. It means that other people can hang up when I want to still hang out with them, you know? And in person, it's also a two-way street. You can't leave. I mean, you can, but it's not the same. You, you definitely can't leave. You can't just up and go away. Um, and that comes also with the, like I said, you ca you can't just leave. But it's also, it also gives opportunity to talk clearer. It gives you the opportunity to keep talking, to explain. Say you're in a video call like this and someone gets frustrated, they might hang up and leave. But if you're talking in person, you can keep talking and get through it. Now, some people might call that stalking, depending on the situation. But it also gives the opportunity that if someone is upset, instead of them leaving and just boiling down what happened, you can talk to them, you can share the experience, you can reach a healthy level of communication and resolve the issue or sometimes not resolve the issue but either way you you can at least try it's like i see the pros and cons i personally digital socializing saved my social life because i still like being a social person but digital socializing lets me do it on my terms and that's for me is something healthy especially when it comes to streaming because then it's it's because it's it's i'm going to be a bit selfish but stream when i stream it's literally me doing what i want and it's it's just me sure there are people in chat but they're texts in chat 
I can ignore them. I can block them. I can time them out. I can turn it off. Or I can choose to engage on my terms. I, I like that. <laughs> it, it, uh, that's, that's just how it is. It is socializing on your terms, the streamer's terms. Sure, you might do something for the people, but if you have, especially if I'm having a low energy day, I will bring my recliner chair in here and I will do something completely off script compared to what's on my streaming schedule. Because I just can't. There, there are some things that you just can't force your way through. I, I, I feel like I'm just rambling. And no, talking. no, no, no. Sorry, my brain is apparently just abandoning me at the moment. Um, I was going to ask about um, um, a little bit more about um, metaphors and <laughs> metaphors and and double meanings because you said about how like um, with communications the 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 unspoken rules of conversations can sometimes get a bit in the way. How does it work with uh, um, like nuances of, of language, especially as someone who's uh, um, uh, second language is English? I... I don't know, really. I I think on that point, I'm okay. I'm not saying that there are people, people, people who don't get them are not okay. It's more that I grew up with lots of people around me who used them, and they would just explain them when I asked. And English might be my second language, but we get to learn English so early in Sweden, like stupid early. And English media, I have English, well, that's not true. I have Welsh relatives. Um, and there's just, it hasn't been that hard. Like, sure, I might struggle with some if they're completely new, but usually I try to use context clues. What were we talking about? What could they be referring to? Have I heard anything similar? But I will say every time, every single time I hear something like a dad joke or a literal joke or a pun, I get a such a strong image in my brain of exactly of the of the literal thing like whenever someone says hi back i'm dad I'll, i just imagine a fucking final cord walking in through a door or 
or the whole like, oh, just shoving it under the mat. And I'll just imagining all the times in cartoons I've seen anyone put anything under a mat. Like, I get what you mean, but the imagery is, it always pops into my head every time. And I've had issues where I don't get them at all. But I think when it comes to dad jokes, literal humor, puns, I I don't I don't struggle so much, I suppose. It's it's mostly when it's new and like I don't have anything to relate it to. But yeah. In that specific scenario I I don't have any struggle. I'm just haunted by the imagery. <laughs> and I live with someone who loves those kinds of jokes and that type of humor. And it's it's constant. <laughs> um okay. Right. Um <laughs> chat's just having a bit of a protest. Um right. So we've got a couple of questions but we'll we'll leave those to um to the end because we've got other other ones to to discuss. So I feel this next one's gonna be a big one. Um Oh, we've done small ones so far. Yeah, okay. yep, 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 yep. Um What's something you wish people knew about? What stigmas or misconceptions do you experience? With, okay. I feel a strong focus on on the masking, as we mentioned earlier. I'll, I'll probably be talking about masking. And for those who don't understand, I'll start by explaining. Masking is the idea of adjusting your behavior to seem neurotypical, i.e., without a neurodivergent um, brain, I suppose. Um, and it is the concept of putting on a mask or several masks, filtering out what you want to say and do and only say and do what you've learned to be the accepted social norm. That it's masking. It is, and it is a... It can be a very intense process. It is energy demanding, and it is, in some cases, permanent. It, it can be, for some people, it can be incredibly difficult to unmask. And therefore, they will always, like myself, it's, it's really hard for me to regain spoons when they're used up. Because I can't just turn everything off. Considering the fact that I work a full-time job, I have a lot of things on my plate that I do. I don't have the time necessary to slowly and surely peel every single mask off and then put them back on before I have to get going again. And it can be something as small as stimming. I've almost completely stopped stimming 
because it bothered people, to be honest. It, it bothered people. I used to have big stints, huge stints as a child. Now I do them when no one's around. I will literally look around to make sure no one's nearby and sees me. And once again, can we clarify? A stim is a, a, an outlet for energy buildup, but it can also be an expression of heightened emotions, positive or negative. It's very important to know that it can be a way to release tension, be it from a, an excited state or a depressed state. Stims can be verbal, repeating of phrases, repeating of words, repeating of sounds. They can be uh, somatic. You, there's usually a lot of uh, stereotypes that it's hand wavy. Uh, some people argue that toe, toe walking is a type of stim. It is something that's very commonly found uh, with uh, autistic people. Personally, uh, I spin my hands when I stim. I rotate my wrists as quickly as possible. That's how I stim. And for some people, as I said, it is a way to get rid of energy. If you're excited, uh, it can become uncontrollable. And I still have moments when it, when it is uncontrollable. Um, it's been a while. But I did have a completely uncontrollable stim where I had to stand up and I bounced and spun my hands. And it was uh, really awkward because there were people around, but there was nothing I could do about it because I was so excited. But it can also be a way to release negative tension. If you're in a situation you can't deal with, you might have to stim to let off steam. Uh, metaphorically speaking, it's similar to, in that case, a dog panting to just, you just gotta do the thing. You gotta create your own comfort, even if it's something that people might look side-eyed on. And for me, most of my masking has come to hide stims. It comes in the shape, uh, in the form of how I dress. Um, as I told you, I dress based on physical and mental comfort. If I were to dress only for mental comfort or only for physical comfort, I would dress completely different. Um, uh, it comes in the form of small gestures. It comes in the form of pleasantries. It can come in the form of nodding at someone you get eye contact with on the street. It can come in the form of um, not lip syncing the music that I listen to. It I, it can come in the form of being able to walk my dog. It can come in the form of touching gross things. 
it, it's masking is literally putting on a mask and make yourself more accommodating to the masses, I suppose. Fitting in. There's, and there's so many, and it's really, really hard for some people to unmask just because it becomes a habit, because you forget what's underneath. Or it could be traumatizing because you remember what it was like before you put on the mask. And you don't want to go back there. So you endure. So what are the um, stigmas that come with that? People see movies. And nowadays there are some good media regarding ASD. But people see movies like Rain Man. And it's just... People see shows like The Good Doctor. And I don't think neither of these two are particularly well made in portraying someone who's autistic. I mean, they could be good at portraying specific individuals, but they also very heavy on stereotypes. But there are people who fit those stereotypes. Stereotypes exist for a reason. But I feel like the stigma comes regarding they'll assume you're super smart, they'll assume you're detail-oriented, They'll assume you can't stand certain types of light. They'll assume you can't stand certain types of sounds. They'll assume you can't hold eye contact. They'll assume that you speak differently or not at all. There's also stigma regarding um, physicality. There's very often, very often, um, autistic people are de depicted as lanky, bony, with awkward uh, motor skills. Not true at all. Sure, I know some. I know some who are definitely not. There's... Physical contact bit. That's a huge one. I used to be incapable of physical contact unless it was for specific reasons and purposes. I... I used to be unable to eat when I wasn't at home. There's a stigma around food habits. I know some people that have no issues eating whatever. There's there's the stereotypes of everything having to be perfectly organized all the time. Not at all. There's plenty of autistic people who are, for lack of a better word, hoarders. 
that create hoarder dens. And while it may seem chaotic, they might have a system. While it may seem organized, it might be chaotic. Usually, there's, I've heard, um, there's the example of where everything has to be clinical, everything has to be uniform. Not true at all. There's so many stereotypes out there, and they can be incredibly hurtful. And I, speaking of stereotypes, I want to touch upon the expression suffering from autism. Because I hear a lot of people say the expression, well, they suffer from autism. And that's just not how it is. The person doesn't suffer from the autism. The person isn't in pain because they are autistic. The suffering comes from the people who believe this stereotypes, to, who enforce them upon the autistic person, who the people who refuse to communicate on the autistic person's level. That's where the pain comes from. The pain comes from not being understood. The pain comes from not getting the help you might want or need. The suffering comes in from outside sources. It doesn't come from within. The suffering isn't inherent. Sure, some people view their own autistic uh, nature as something they want to be rid of, but it's not because of their own soul-searching that they realize, oh, I need to be rid of this. It's because someone else pointed out that they were flawed. You can't come to the conclusion that there's something wrong with your inherent being unless someone tells you it's wrong. They don't suffer from autism. They suffer from idiots. Recently, we've seen a lot of um, stereotyping around nonverbal autistic people as well, especially with uh, certain movies from certain musicians who really should have shut up and listened to the people around her. Um, Let's not which, even. <laughs> no, exactly. That's why I don't want to name them. But I do think it. It's very important to, to realize, I think, so my husband's autistic, uh, my, my ex-boyfriend um, is autistic, and I, I'm, well, I'm being tested for ADHD at the moment, which in some respects is close to autism, shares some traits, so I can only speak from what I've experienced in others, not necessarily what I've experienced in myself, but people who are, people who are autistic are often infantilized, I've found, um, especially I found with, with my, my ex-boyfriend, who was having a harder time sort of understanding himself and because of that um, had a harder time getting other people to understand him, not his fault, but it was an explanation for why he couldn't 
quite explain the situations going on around him. Um, but he had violent outbursts, which people viewed as childlike, which meant he didn't get the help for them that he needed, which was, is very difficult. I'm not entirely sure where the stereotype of autistic people being unbadalized comes from. I think possibly from things like Rain Man, where obviously it's the 40-year-old the with the seven-year-old's mind, and that's not at all, well, that's not even the same diagnosis. It's a completely different thing, but... It's also... Working with someone um, on the autistic spectrum and having worked with the same person for as long as I have, it's, for some people, there is, there is a stereotype of a, and I don't know the English word for when you have two um, diagnosis or disability at the same time, or one or like two or more. There's there's a word for it, uh, but I don't know it. But there's usually there's there's still a big statistic regarding uh, people on the autistic autistic spectrum having a. My brain is not cooperating right now. Um, learning disability. And some do. Some honestly do. And they need different types of help. That's just how it is. But there are also those who don't at all have any learning disabilities. They might have a learning disability as in, in the sense that the environment is debilitating to their learning. But not that there's any issue with them taking in new concepts. Hence why I went to a high school program for those with ASD. We were still very much taking high school level courses. Everyone was still studying at high school level. We were just in an environment that was supposed to be more beneficial for us. Um, and also, God, I lost my train of thought. Going back to the fact that I work with someone and have done for so long, it's the infantilizing can also come from the fact that sometimes it's hard to retain surface level information. Only the most recent thing said is retained and quickly. word responded to the person I work with I cannot explain a concept and expect them to be able to understand what I'm talking about but I can ask a yes or no question I can talk in very short sentences but what I can do as well is I can change how I talk. I can change my sentence structure. I can change my inflections. I can change how I speak. I can essentially change my language to theirs, and suddenly they understand me without issue if I speak on their level. 
And to some people from outside, it might seem that we are talking in a childish way, but we are communicating, fully understanding each other, having no issues communicating. And I think some people view that as, as you're saying, something infantile, because the way we talk might come across we remove any unnecessary words from the sentence. We remove time from the sentence. We remove the concept of time. We're only talking in the now. We talk very directly. And we talk exaggeratedly. We talk excitedly. And it works. It just works. And there's no reason to talk in any other way because that's the way that works. And I think people don't get it that it's like learning a different language. It's it's not it's not childlike. It's it's a different language. That's that's how I view it at least. And it's taken years to learn it. So I think that that actually leads us quite nicely onto our last question before going into uh, audience questions. Um, tell us something that you can take away from your experience that is, has been good. What what good has come from this good has come from this uh i was giving um what's the word again wow um adapted customized uh special attention uh in my later years of um basic school again words and systems don't really add up a uh, year seven through nine i had uh, several instances of special help in various forms in school and uh while i still didn't finish ninth grade with full grades like uh, i didn't have like passing grades in all the classes it still helped me to gain structure. It helped me get through those years because without the help, I probably wouldn't have. So there is help out there. It just needs to be the right help for, right help for the right person. Also, something that I take away from my experience is that communication is super important. And I know everyone talks about most of communication isn't done through words, but it can be. And it is so much clearer. It is so much clearer. And if I had my choice, I think we would do 90% of communication with verbally. <laughs> if, if I was to decide. Because there's very little room for error because you can ask for clarifications. Imagine if you sat and constantly asking someone, 
What does that look mean? What does that body twitch mean? Why did your eyebrow do that thing? Why did you look over there? Why did you lick your lips? Why did you scrounge your nose? Why did you breathe like that? But when you... It, it just just doesn't work, does it? Because then you start analyzing yourself and you get self-conscious. And it just spirals. It's like, it's just like one, it ends up being the, one of those things where someone says, don't think about a blue elephant. And now you're thinking about a blue elephant. Don't think about the fact that if you wiggle your tongue in your mouth, it feels like you have a fish in there. Now you tried wiggling your tongue in your mouth, and it felt like a fish. You become incredibly self-aware if that was how communication worked. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, but I'm I'm that's what I'm saying, like that's what I've taken away from this, being blunt in verbal communication, but it doesn't always work. Because it requires reciprocation. And but that is something that I like about myself. That I have come to the point where I decided not necessarily to mask the bluntness in asking for clarification. Because I, I just hate misunderstandings. So I will take what people say at face value. If you tell me you're having a good day, I'm going to assume you have a good day. Because that's what you told me. And if you didn't have a good day, but you told me that anyway, that's on you. Because that's what you told me. And as I said earlier, I'm not a mind reader. And it just feels like some people believe that everyone else is a mind reader. And I sometimes feel myself going like, oh shit, I made an assumption. And I'll go back and text someone and be like, what did you mean? So I suppose that's a good thing. Or... The fact that I like what I've learned, the fact that there are concepts that I can share. Something that I take away is usually the fact that you don't you don't have to it's like the thing with the food. You don't have to like it. But you need to know what it's supposed to taste like. And the same goes with people sometimes. You don't have to like your boss. But you need to know what they do. You need to know how they work. I definitely filled that in with what they taste yeah. like, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> That's on you. Okay. That's on you. Maybe you don't go around <laughs> licking your boss. Um. <laughs> but you, the point is that you don't need to like them. But you might still need something from them eventually. You need the communication. And in communication is just super important for me as well. A lot of things I've done through my life have been to become better at communication because I used to be trash. And I still have nonverbal moments. I still have moments where I need to demask, even though we've 
like I, as I've said, it can be really hard. I get people who know me often ask, like, are you really autistic? Or people I meet when I tell them, they're like, what? No way. But you you seem fine. And I'm like, I'm, I'm fine, but I can still be autistic. I, you know what? They're, they don't, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be both. Something that I take away from my experience is the fact that I like telling people the truth about what it's like being autistic. My experience has helped me helping others. And I think a lot of a lot of what I want to get out of my life is to simply because when I went to the special program and realized that I did not need as much help as them, but I wasn't I but I needed some help. I realized that I wanted to be that some in between help. Now it's not exactly what I do for a living, but I ended up adjacent to that. I just realized that if if with the right help I could manage to end up with a full education, a whole full time job, feeling like I'm part of society. But I wanted that. Not everyone does. But I could help those who do want that. I've been in that seat. And I want to help others get get through it. I would also dare say that somehow, don't ask me why, but I feel like it's because I'm autistic that I have a stupid amount of optimism out of nowhere. It's like, sure, I have down days, but for some reason I just... I just can't seem to stop thinking it gets better. I'll be fine. Some people don't always appreciate that, though. In regards to something that you, you have just spoken about, actually, um, is... Uh, a question that I had um, of has um, have you do you feel that uh, living with autism has helped you uh, in your profession? Do you feel like it, without that you wouldn't be as good a caregiver or? I don't think I can answer that question specifically because I don't know. I only have well, one life, one experience. Uh, but I do think that it helps me have a certain fingertip competence, as it's called in Swedenland. I don't know if that expression translates. Um, Can't say it's when you have. It, but... It's when you have. It's just when you have a specific type of dexterity for the specific type of task you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think in this case it definitely helps, just because I am on that brink 
of how much help I need from others and how much I can handle myself. Uh, being able to communicate clearly both with my care receiver and their guardians on both their levels. Being able to clearly communicate to my boss and the others involved, other instances. I feel often like a translator. And I feel that we need more of those when it comes to autistic people. Because a lot of them want to communicate. A lot of them want to be able to be involved in their own health care and their own life. But they might not have the tools to enforce their own autonomy. And a lot of them also just don't. They just... Some of them are forced to be part of a society that they don't want to be part of. Some of them are perfectly content in their day-to-day -day existence, and it is then forced upon them that they have to develop. They have to be part of society. I have a friend uh, on the spectrum who literally doesn't want to work a full-time job because he, he doesn't want to. It's not that he's not capable. He has the education. He has the capacity. But he's outright said, I only want to work enough to be able to pay my bills, my rent, and then spend enough money on my hobby, hobbies. And then I want free time. And that's just how he chose to go for it because he has the capabilities to change his own life, to, to mold it to his own needs. But there are people who have these needs or they have no needs and they are being forced to be molded or they cannot mold. Because they're not giving the appropriate tools, because they're giving help out of, based on a system that doesn't take their individual needs into to account. Here, where I work, we literally just started a new plan that now, 2022, the way we write out goals and plans for the people who need special assistance and care, it is now called the Individuals Need in Center. In 2022, we added the fact that we are taking the individual's needs and wants as the focal point. Because, you know, who cares about the person we're supposed to take care of? They don't know what they want, do they? Nah. I could go on a, a, a spiel about that one, but... Uh, <laughs> um, right. Okay. So we have a couple of audience questions. Um, and... 
Can I get the 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 not so serious one uh, yeah. out of the way and done with first? Hit me. Uh, <laughs> would it be helpful to not use puns when speaking, typing with you? It would it would make communication faster because I wouldn't be sitting here groaning and having a bad time. It's not that I have anything against puns as a concept. Some of them can be really fun, sure, but it's like I like I like I told my party in D and D because in D and D we have the punishment panther because they tell too many puns. So I had I made an actual character that just showed up and said, "Hey, maybe you should maybe you should consider that there is a time and place for these things." So I, the answer to that question is I don't like random puns. If we're having a jovial conversation, sure. If it's just a random pun out of nowhere, I'm just gonna. <sighs> I guess that's one as well. On the note of communication and puns, something that I've done and something that I've told um, many people in my life, if they are joking, if they are joking in the fact that, you know, how sometimes you try to act convincingly or you're telling someone something um, opposite of what you actually mean as a joke, You know, when you say, hey, have you seen my keys? And someone says, yeah, they're where you last put them. I have made sure to tell the important figures in my life, or at least hint towards that. You need, you need to make sure you're using a joke voice. Otherwise, I'm going to take you seriously. You need to exaggerate the fact that you're joking or or it's it's not gonna fly. We're gonna have a bad time. Okay. Um so uh to clear up social misunderstandings, um are you open about being autistic uh for explanation purposes? Or do you choose to not disclose? Um, usually I won't tell someone as the first thing. I will usually act as if I... I might come across as a bit lectury in those scenarios because I will tell the person, how did you expect me to know? How did you expect it to come across? And I will almost like be a bit inquisitive and try to figure out like what was their train of thought? How did they end up there? Like we had a we had a miscommunication. And I'm trying to figure out why did we have a miscommunication? And to some people that's really awkward when you start asking. Like how did you expect me to react? How did you expect me to know what you meant when you were not telling me what you meant? And then, if they get really uncomfortable, I might mention 
I'm autistic. And these questions are not meant to put you in an awkward position. They are genuinely meant as the questions I'm asking. I want to know this information. That's it. There's no underlying ulterior motive. I am literally wanting the answer to these questions because I don't know the answer to these questions. There's nothing else to it. There's, there's nothing behind it. I'm just asking questions because I don't know. Um, okay. Um, have you ever been discriminated against for being um, on the spectrum, such as being in a smaller class or being rejected from a job? I have been rejected from a job. Um, I have... Sorry, can you reread the part again? Have you ever been discriminated against for being on the spectrum, such as being in a smaller class or being rejected from a job? Some people can view it as discrimination, the fact that I went to a special program because I was not given a choice. Uh, I was told I had to go there. Um, that can be viewed as discrimination. Um, when I was in year eight and nine, um, I was forcibly taken out of the classroom and told that I was not welcome in the classroom anymore after I got into a fight with a student that someone else started. But because I was always in those fights, even though I was very rarely the one who started them, they decided I was the problem child. I was removed, and even though I did not qualify for special needs as far as uh, learning goes, I wasn't qualified for what is considered special special class. I don't know how to translate the word, but they have a separate like annex to most schools for those who um, have a special. They they need a certain type of help. Usually, it comes with a learning disability or uh, some such. And since they didn't want me in the classroom, and I was quote-unquote too smart for the special needs class, I was stuck in the middle and I ended up having to be with these kids in the special needs class, but I had to study the regular subjects and it was an incredibly disrupting environment. And it also led to the fact that no teacher would allow me any grade above a passing grade because I wasn't actually taking part in class. So they couldn't grade me higher because of attendance because they didn't actually see what I did. Uh, they didn't let me into PE or um, workshop because uh, in Sweden you have to do textile and woodwork and they wouldn't let me into either of those classes as well. So I got a stricken grade, which means you didn't even fail. You got no grade at all in those. And then, as I said, uh, I was told I had to go to the special program for minimum a year. 
they have they go up to four years and I also they had to go there for minimum a year and then I struggled with depression for a lot of years and every time I've had to be put on sick leave because of depression I've had to argue with the insurance company every time because they say, well, you're on the spectrum. You could just quit your job and live on disabilities. And that is incredibly hurtful because of how hard I fought to get myself to a full-time job, to get myself an education. It incredibly hurtful. Um... I've been discriminated against as a few weeks ago I got in contact for third or fourth time in the last few years um I tried to get in contact talking to someone about my mental health and so I wanted to go and talk to someone about my depression and uh, the psychiatrist spent 40 minutes telling me how autism works and ended up telling me I'm not depressed, I'm just autistic. But also telling me that it's possible I'm not autistic. But if I'm depressed, I'm not depressed because I'm just autistic and all autistic people are depressed. So it's not actually depression, it's just a side effect of being autistic. Yeah, and sometimes I felt like I was discriminated by my own parents. Whenever I would have a meltdown, my mom would assume I was going to uh, take my own life. That's that's always fun, you know. Not being uh, not being allowed around your siblings because your parents are afraid you might hurt them. It's incredibly painful of an experience. Um, there's just. There's there's been a bunch of things. all over the shop and just because of that I'm having a hard time thinking of examples anymore it's okay we can, we can move on um, uh, do you want to talk about family or shall I move on to the no, other question we can we I can touch on it. Did you have a specific question? Uh, uh, a, a question was submitted of um, how it, is autism approached or treated within your family? Your parents, relatives accept your autism or autistic identity. Sometimes I feel like my older sister forgets a lot. And she will act as if she jokingly remembers when I remind her. 
but it's it's very hurtful because she'll she'll say something, and then apparently I don't react the way she wants me to, and she'll call me out for being rude or mean, and I'll have to ask why because I don't get it. And then she'll be like, fuck, yeah, right. Um, and then she'll either just say, never mind, or she'll just end the conversation. I feel like my dad, to some degree, infantilizes me in the way he talks. At the same time, I feel like he doesn't get it. And he just, he had this moment. I had very recently been given my diagnosis um age of 13 as i mentioned i think i had turned 14 when he came home and asked me why i hadn't done the dishes and i said you didn't ask me to do the dishes and he said but there are dishes you could have done them and i would ask do you want me to do the dishes and he said well i'll do it myself and i'm like if you wanted me to do the dishes, you could have asked me to do the dishes. I'm not, like, it's one of those situations, again, where I'm, I'm just asking to gain information. I don't have any ulterior motives with my inquisitiveness. And, and stuff like that still happens when I talk to my dad. And it's gone to the point that my dad and I <clears throat> don't really talk much because... We don't really have anything to talk about anymore. He'll still call me like once a month, see how I'm doing. But mostly he just wants to ask about physical ailments. Like he's... Like he's also... I, one weird thing on a similar note... Because I lived with my dad for a while after I dropped out of uni. And I found out from my older sister that my dad's wife had apparently spoken about me behind my back and said I'd never help with the house chores. And they had asked me to do the dishes when I come home from work and to vacuum the downstairs area every three days. So that's what I did, because that's what they had asked me to do. But apparently that they expected more, but they never told me they expected more. So how would I know? Again, doesn't say mind reader in my forehead, does it? Not that anyone can tell. My bangs are blocking. Maybe it does. <laughs> but it's just... Because some people can do those things on impulse. Some people can walk by something that's messy and just tidy it up. And I've had moments where I've done that. I had, there's a story. There's a story. Am I okay to go on a tangent? Go for it. While I was going to this special program, there were a lot of people in said special program that started dating each other. My best friend at the time um, started dating. We, everyone had nicknames. Everyone had nicknames. So we had one, my very good friend called Aggie started dating someone we called Miss Evil. 
because she would always yeah she would always joke about taking people to her torture chamber um they started dating and for some reason i got myself persuaded to come out to her house in the middle of nowhere because she had it alone with her brother for the weekend and my friend was like you should come over we'll hang out it'll be nice and i was like you want me to third wheel like i i genuinely asked him why what what's the plan what are we supposed to do and he, and he just said, we'll play games, we'll hang out, we'll drink some beers. And I said, I will not drink beers. I'm open to playing games. Fine. And this was also, while I was in this special program, I had to... One of the requirements for me to be able to leave the special program was to prove independence and that I could do things on my own, essentially. So I just said, like, I'm going to Aggie's girlfriend's place for the weekend. My mom's like, the the whole weekend? And I, I said, yeah, I'll... Looks like I'm staying two nights. We're taking... We all go to the same school, so we're taking the same bus on Monday. This was a Saturday for some reason. It was cold as heck. Like, ice and snow everywhere. It was it was Sweden in, in like, January. It's cold, okay? It's cold. And so we go there. And the first thing I realize is I don't like the smell of the house. At all. Kitchen is a wreck. Uh, Miss Evil keeps a bunch of pets. Various types of birds. Of all kinds. In her, Half of her room is a bird enclosure. It's just a bed, a wardrobe, a desk, and a bird enclosure. Her walk-in closet is a hatchery for chickens. And apparently, we're all supposed to sleep in her parents' bed. And it's not fresh sheets. It smells. And I ask, what's for food? To which the response is... The response is... From Miss Evil, our host is I'm eating leftovers you can eat whatever you want and she also had an alarm set for every hour when she would log on to one of her games no matter what we were doing she would stop she would log on to her computer open up a game and apparently she said she was killing a boss so that she can take the loot and sell it to the newbies Every hour, she would do this. And what happened was, I spent the entire evening cleaning their kitchen so that I could cook a meal. Because I straight up asked, you say we can eat whatever we want. Is that true? To which she responded, oh, you can eat everything except this specific item from the freezer. And I said, okay, so I can cook with anything else. Yes. So I spent several hours cleaning the filthy kitchen of two 16-year-olds having had a weekend to themselves. 
several hours cleaning that kitchen, going through their kitchen to find food, cooking a meal for me and my friend, and sat down. And then, magically, Miss Evil comes down from her room because she refused to eat at the dining room table because she never does, but she came down with her own food and she ate with us. And we had a really good time. The day after when her parents come home, they paid me a bunch of money as a thanks for cleaning their kitchen. And I just... I don't I don't know I, I don't know how to feel about this story. <laughs> anyway, one last question before we move on to our closing. Um Is there anything we as part of your community can do that would be helpful or be beneficial? In in what way? Uh, as a streamer or creator, that would help not, you. Not really. No. Uh, have oversight when uh, when I don't have the energy to to put on all of the masks. That's one, I suppose. Uh, there's because there are just times when I don't. I I just can't. There's, there's times when I can't. There's also... I think an important thing that all chats need to know is that you're communicating text. There's no pitch to be heard. You need to use that text. Use the tools. Use the emotes to make sure that even if you don't write out your full intention, that part of it comes through. If you're joking, make sure you emphasize that it is a joke. If you ask something because you truly don't understand, make sure that it is an inquisitive note. If you are communicating in text, it is a very one-dimensional communication form. So use it to its full potential. That's I, the, the power of emotes, just so you know, the power of emotes. I, I think that's, that's a huge takeaway that I have for, for chats, is it's just... Remember that there's a delay. The The moment can be gone if you're trying to give a quick-witted response. And there's also... Yeah. As Sai is saying, emotes. Yes. Oh, God. I MSN. <laughs> that was a while ago. MSN Messenger. Oh, but my yes, distance hurts thinking about it. <laughs> no, no, let, let, I'll raise you one better. ICQ. 
ICQ. Anyway. But yeah, yeah I, I'd say that's the biggest takeaway as a chat and a community can do. Like when communicating a text, be, be overly clear about the tone of your message. Like, never be afraid to over-explain something when it's in text. All right. Um, Paige, is there anything that you wanted to ask before we finish up? I don't believe so. Unfortunately, my internet's still been trying to eat itself, so it's uh, it's been a, a little bit video catching up with audio the entire time mm. <laughs> trying to manage but no I yeah. think, think that's, that's, that's an example now I'm just thinking about a mimic mo modem eating itself that's <laughs> interesting monster mm -hmm. like that's, that's just you said the, the internet is eating itself and not, that's all I'm thinking about <laughs> like I know what you mean but the imagery is going to be there anyway Okay. Well, um, do you have any last comments that you wish to add to to this before we finish up, Josie? Um, I don't know. I tried to be very methodical in my responses and not tell too much about my own life story. Like there's 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 more to my story. I've I've mostly been answering the questions as clearly as possible. Um, if people have any questions from to me in the future within any communities regarding the the process of coming to the conclusion that I had an ASD, like that I was diagnosed with it, that's a story in itself. And but my last comments, I guess, is uh, be nice. I suppose be be nice. Like if you meet someone and they ask a lot of questions, don't don't just think they're being annoying. Answer their questions. Okay. Um. Can I get a shout out for Josie and Paige, please? Um, I've already gotten one. <laughs> you have another one. Oh. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you everyone for hanging out. I hope this was educational. Um, please do go and spread some love um, towards Josie and Paige. Um, and Sonia. Um, I've lost the train of thought again. Um, <laughs> next um, uh, podcast slot is in two weeks but it is currently open so if anyone wishes to come and talk to us um, and not listen to Paige and I ranting about uh, um, everything and anything um, then uh, um, do, do fill in the form um, that in theory should be somewhere uh, in the chat um, but yes next stream will be on Sunday um, 
thank you all for hanging out. I hope you have a good rest of your evening or day. I hope you have a good rest of your week. And I will see you all soon. Say bye all. Bye all. <laughs> bye.